I want you to turn your Bible to Ezekiel chapter 37. Our text this morning will be verses 1 through 5 of Ezekiel chapter 37. The Lord started dealing with me concerning this service a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I really believe that I have a message from the Lord. And I'm going to ask you that you, you pray that God would help me to deliver it properly and in the right spirit and in the right fashion, a way that's pleasing to him. So first we'll read the text and then we'll pray. Ezekiel 37, 1 through 5. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord, thou knowest. And he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. The title of our message this morning is, Can America Live Again? Can America Live Again? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege and opportunity to pray and to worship you, Lord. And we thank you for the opportunity to read your word and to listen for your voice, Lord, in all that transpires here today. And I just pray, God, that you would work your divine will in me and every person in this auditorium. And, Lord, those that may be watching somehow or those that are listening to this message, I pray, God, that by your Holy Spirit, you would send forth your word to accomplish that which you desire for it to accomplish. And in the name of Jesus, I come against anything that would try to hinder that. And I just proclaim, God, that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And I'm so thankful for that. And I'm so thankful that we are in your presence, Lord. In your presence where there's fullness of joy, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. We thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can America live again? The subject of our text is God's ability to restore life to a spiritually dead nation. Ezekiel 37 is known as the story of the Valley of Bones. It probably should be called Ezekiel's vision of the Valley of Dry Bones. Ezekiel's remarkable prophetic experience in our text is not specifically identified as being a vision, but that seems to be the sense of the phrase, brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. So we can regard what follows as probably something that Ezekiel saw in a vision and not necessarily what he saw with his physical sense of sight. The chapter actually begins with verse 1 with the words, The hand of the Lord was upon me. Now, the hand of the Lord is a common reference to the spirit of Yahweh, particularly in the Old Testament. It was common for God's spirit in the Old Testament to be referred to in this manner because many places it talks about the hand of the Lord and the spirit of the Lord, and the terms are used interchangeably. The word there, uh, Lord, is not the office or position of a master, but it's actually the tetragrammaton. It is actually the Hebrew name of God articulated as Yahweh, or Jehovah. So this reveals that the prophet Ezekiel was brought out in the spirit of the Lord. That is in a vision 
and sat down in the midst of a large expanse called a valley. And the valley was full of bones. This was the original Death Valley. The floor of the valley was so dense with human bones that it was described as being full. A huge valley full of bones. He saw them all around him and he noticed and noted that there were very many bones in that large open valley. It was death personified and multiplied. The valley was by the river Chebar, located in Babylon, and was one of the main locations where the Babylonian Empire had forced the captives of Judah to live during the time of the Babylonian captivity. So the lives represented by the bones in Ezekiel's vision were not only dead, but they were also disgraced. Because in the thinking of ancient Israel, and even today, an unburied corpse with exposed remains was just a, a shocking disgrace to the dead. For that reason, they bury their dead on the same day, immediately after death. So the bones of the multitude of people that Ezekiel saw were obviously denied a proper burial, and so these bones were much disgraced. The bones were laying on the surface of the valley like the remains of corpse, corpses that were denied a proper burial, just left out there for the buzzards, the birds, the scavenging birds to feed upon. As an Israelite and especially as a priest, Ezekiel knew how important the proper treatment of human corpses was, so what he witnessed was an absolutely horrible sight in his eyes to be there, to be standing there and looking and seeing these bones, dry bones. Obviously, the people those bones represented were disgraced for some time. Ezekiel noticed in verse 2 that they were dry bones, very dry, very dry bones. Not only dead, but they had been long dead. The bones are what remain when life is passed. When something has been dead so long, we normally give up hope it will ever live again. And so in verse 3, God asked Ezekiel a question. He asked him, can these bones live? In other words, is there any hope to be found for them at all? Now, keep in mind, the dead dry bones represent the nation of Judah the southern kingdom of Israel. And that's because of her exceeding and continuing backsliding and violation of the word and the will of God that resulted in her being carried away into Babylonian captivity. Israel has suffered tremendous judgment because of her sins and had been removed from her place in God and was carried from the promised land over to Babylon, or where we would call the area of Iraq today, the place of wickedness, idolatry, and the worship of demons and false gods. These were the people of God that were carried away. But God still gave the promise of the Spirit to those backslidden Israelites. And all of that was in spite of the fact that Judah was so far backslid as a nation that God saw them as, and he wanted Ezekiel to see them as spiritually dead, dry bone dead, deader than a doornail, as we would say in today's vernacular, backslid, lost, spiritually dead, and seemingly dead hopeless. 
And God asked Ezekiel, is there any hope at all for what you see? Is there any hope at all for Judah? Is there any hope at all, or is it too late? Is she too far gone? Is her condition and situation absolutely hopeless? I don't know if you've ever seen anybody or any situation that you thought was absolutely hopeless. But that's what Ezekiel was looking at. And I think that he responded to God's question with the best answer possible as Ezekiel said, O Lord God, thou knowest. Thou knowest. Somebody would say he didn't really answer his question. But he did in the best way that he could. Because he didn't know what to say. The bones were dead and dry, very dry. Life had long passed from them. And only God knew if there was any hope for them to come back to life again. Or if the final straw of sin had already been released and spiritually Judah had become so broken that she could never be restored. So Ezekiel said, O oh Lord God, only you know the answer to that. And so Ezekiel was waiting for God to speak concerning Judah so Ezekiel could echo whatever God said. Sometimes the best way to pray about something is to wait upon the Lord until you hear the voice of the Lord. And then when God speaks to your heart concerning it, then you can just simply echo what God has said. That way you know that your prayer is in agreement with God and you are not praying something different than what God is saying about a specific situation. That way you can know that you are praying the will of God, the word of God, and some of the most powerful praying you will ever do will be to pray the word of God. Remember 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know he hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Now look at that again. This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. We must know the will of God. We must know the word of God. We must wait upon the Lord. Allow the Lord to speak to us. And then when God speaks, we agree with him. We agree, yes. By his stripes, I am healed. Yes, I will call upon the Lord in my day of trouble, and he will hear me, and I will glorify him. Yes, if I say unto the mountain, and believe in my heart. Don't doubt. But believe that that which I say will come to pass. I'll have whatever I say. Yes. If I abide in him and his word abides in me. I can ask what I will. And it shall be done. Some of the most powerful praying you can do is to pray the word. Pray the will of God. Get in agreement with God and his word and he will hear you and he will give you what you desire 
of him. So Ezekiel responded to God's question about Judah and the horrible spiritual death that had engulfed the nation by basically saying, God, if there's any hope whatsoever to be given, it's going to be given by you. You're going to have to give it. It can only come from you. He saw no hope in the bones. But he did have hope in God. Now notice he didn't speak his own hopelessness. Ezekiel did not presume to know what God wanted to do with the bones. In fact, Ezekiel's response tells me that he was confident that God did know what he wanted to do with the bones. And so Ezekiel wanted to know what God had to say. And in verses 4 and 5 of our text, God responded to Ezekiel's statement as it says, Again he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. Now, most of you already know where we're going with this this morning. Because it's very apparent that like Judah, America is predominantly backslid. Well, I don't like you saying that. Well, I'm just telling you. I'm just speaking the obvious. Like Judah, our country for the most part is lost. Spiritually dead. And really, if that's all you can see and all you can look at, then, then looking at America, you can be kind of overwhelmed with hopelessness, concerned about the nation that your children are being raised in and your grandchildren are being raised in. Is different from how it was. And it's hard for us to realize and admit what has happened to our nation spiritually just during the course of our lifetime. But America is backslid again. Now then, not everyone in the Hebrew nation was backslid when Ezekiel prophesied. There were people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Jeremiah, Obadiah, many more that were faithful to God. And just like everyone in Judah wasn't backslid, even though as a nation Judah was backslid, everyone in America is not backslid, even though as a nation, our sins are so prevalent, prevailing, frequent, pervasive, extensive, endemic, rampant, and widespread that we can safely say our country is backslid. But there is still a remnant in America that has remained faithful to God, refusing to turn their back on God to become apostate, and refusing to deny the eternal truths of God's word. But let's face it, America, for the most part, spiritually dead. We don't know exactly when it happened or how it happened, but it definitely has happened. We got our start as a nation based upon the Bible, the word of God. I don't know if you listened to John Hagee this morning, but he preached a great sermon concerning the foundation of this country, the beginning of this nation today. But we know the old history of America before it was kind of recently rewritten in the last couple of decades. We know about the pilgrims arriving here in the New World in the early 1600s and then uh, beginning in the early 1700s. We know that God brought a number of notable revivals 
to our land. Even before Congress approved the American Declaration of Independence from the British Empire on July 4, 1776, our nation had already experienced a tremendous spiritual revival leading up to it from 1725 all the way into the 1770s. It was called the First Great Awakening. Tens of thousands of people were gathered together in various places to hear sermons from men like Jonathan Edwards, Gilbert Tennant, and George Whitefield, and others as they were preaching revivals all across the New World, winning scores of people into the kingdom of God. The significant working of God during the Great Awakening was far-reaching, and truly converted members now filled the pews of the churches in the New World. In New England during this time, just from 1740 to 1742, church membership increased from 25,000 to over 50,000. It continued as hundreds of new churches were formed to accommodate the church goers. This is in the beginning of this country, the, the formation before 1776. The pilgrims came over here and started having revival. Revival broke out all across this land. And for the first time, the individual colonies during this first great awakening had something in common with each other as they were joined together under the banner of Christ. And clearly, their unity gave them strength to face the impending danger of war with England. Not only did the great awakening unite the colonies religiously, but also politically. After many being freed from inner sin, the colonists sought freedom from external tyrants. Note the spiritual freedom came first. The motto of the Revolutionary War was no king but King Jesus. America's next great revival began in um, about 1795 and lasted over 50 years. And it was a soul-winning revival with thousands upon thousands being saved and churches across the new country that was formed growing at an unprecedented rate. I mean, this revival was so strong that alcohol consumption diminished so greatly that many bars in New York City, for instance, were turned into churches. They became churches. And practical assistance ministries blossomed in the new spirit of love and generosity that overtook the people of America, the American citizens, full of love and generosity and giving and caring. Then this also kicked off what's called the camp meeting revivals, where people would come from great distances and they would pitch their tents and sleep in their wagons and all of these kind of things, you know, and, and they would just camp outside and they would have these big outdoor meetings with thousands and thousands attending. That's what camp meeting is. Nowadays we have camp meeting to stay in hotels, sit around in air-conditioned buildings. Well, this was before all of that. It was called camp meeting because they camped. <laughs> of significance in, in this great revival were camp meetings like the one in 1801 at Cane Ridge, Kentucky, where 3,000 plus people were saved in that one revival. By 1806, the revival had reached Williams College in Massachusetts, where five students were praying during a thunderstorm in the shelter of a haystack. And four of the five that were in that little prayer meeting felt the call to take the gospel from America to other nations, to become missionaries. And that haystack prayer meeting, as it came to be called, was the beginning of 
the American Foreign Missions Movement. The banner year for camp meeting was 1811, when approximately one-third of all Americans attended at least one camp meeting. Can you imagine the effect that it would have on our nation today if one-third of every American citizen, one-third of all the citizens in America, participated in a summer revival somewhere. Can you imagine the effect it would have on Northeast Louisiana if one-third of the population of Northeast Louisiana participated in a revival somewhere this summer, like the P50 conference that we had here at our church? A prayer meeting started with just six people on Fulton Street in New York City in 1857, right near where the Brooklyn Tabernacle is located today, 1857. And that prayer meeting became a revival that spread quickly around the world. Over the next two years, a million more converts were added to American churches and a million to churches in England and Ireland and many more in many other places. And then the revival of the Holy Spirit baptism started in the mountains of Tennessee and North Carolina in 1896. And the revival of the Spirit baptism also started up at the same time on the West Coast in 1906 at a mission led by an African-American preacher from Louisiana named William Seymour in a dilapidated old building on Azusa Street in Los Angeles. These revivals were the formative events of early Pentecostalism. Out of them came the largest Pentecostal fellowships or denominations that we have still yet today. At about the same time, people in Kansas and then people all the way up to Canada were receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And new Spirit-filled churches started springing up everywhere, east, west, north, and south. And then we had the Jesus People movement of the 60s and 70s. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right after Woodstock. A bunch of those people got saved. Now, the people in most of the churches didn't really believe they were saved. <laughs> Music artists like Larry Norman Gave our heart to Jesus. They still had the blue jeans and t-shirts and necklaces and long hair and played their guitars and they just started singing about Jesus. I used to listen to them when I was a kid. What will people say if they find out I'm a Jesus freak? What will people do? <laughs> I don't think my mom and dad liked me listening to them guys. They didn't look like the people in our church. <laughs> and then the charismatic movement. About the same time. Strange things started happening. People who weren't qualified, as far as we were concerned, were getting the Holy Ghost. When I was up in Michigan, before I left to come down here, I got invited to a Catholic church on Saturday night. A friend of mine was telling me about it, 
where they were praying for people and they were falling out and people were speaking in tongues and they were praying for people and they were getting healed. And I'm like, whoa. Catholics? No way. Yes way. Anywhere somebody's hungry for Jesus and sincere about seeking God with all of their heart. Don't matter what name is over the door. Don't matter what list their name is written on. All that matters is that their name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And we started learning that we couldn't put God in a box and tell him what he could do and what he couldn't do. Now those were revivals of a smaller nature, uh, numerically or percentage-wise in the country compared to like the Great Awakening, First Great Awakening, Second Great Awakening, camp meeting revivals, Holy Spirit baptism revivals in, at the turn of the century. But still, America experienced somewhat of a revival in, in but at the same time there was a backsliding going on at the same time the Jesus people and the charismatics were coming up the, the country was backsliding in most places drug and alcohol abuse skyrocketed the Bible and prayer were removed from our public schools for the most part And as you know, on January 22nd, 1973, the Supreme Court handed down its historic decision in Roe versus Wade, making abortion legal in the United States. And so America has been dying spiritually for at least a half a century. And now with the blood of more than 62 million babies that were murdered in their mother's womb on her hands. And it continues. Even today. Our nation is crying out for God's judgment. Our nation is backslidden. This sermon might get kicked off Facebook, but <laughs> they've been kicking sermons off a lot, you know, Facebook. But just last month, Kellogg's put out cereal, love cereal, with look like Fruit Loops, but they're in the shapes of hearts. And it's rainbow in celebration of lesbians, gays, bisexuals, transgenders, and queers. Cereal boxes, the little kids. And on the back, it's talking about celebrating diversity. And on the sides, a little place where, where kids can write in how they want to address themselves. Mr., Miss, Ms., him, her, 
and then blank spaces so they can think about it. Kellogg's, cereal boxes, trying to confuse little children, indoctrinate them toward a lifestyle that is contrary to the word and the will of God. Trying to get them to embrace it and tell them that, that cereal belongs in a box, not people. Oh yeah. I got, I got news for Kellogg's. I told you Facebook probably going to kick this off. But I got news for Kellogg's. God wants his rainbow back. You can't have his rainbow. It's a sign of the Noahic covenant that God will never destroy the earth again through flood. And God wants his rainbow back. You can't take it. I don't have to tell you, America is a stench in the nostrils of the world. As the world's leader in exporting pornography and promoting pedophilia, and violence and almost all other manner of sinfulness, some of the stuff going out of our country to the world is so bad that Communist countries like Russia and Muslim nations that worship false gods and idols, they have started putting restrictions on things coming out of America so that their youth cannot view or hear, listen to, see these things and become morally corrupted and it become the demise of their nation. Communist countries say the filth from America is not going to be able to make its way to our children. You see, from the Bible we learn that God judges nations, God judges churches, as well as individuals. There's something in the Bible we need to be aware of, a concept of someone's cup of sin or iniquity becoming full to capacity until the point that it begins to overflow the brim. When something overflows, when it gets so out of control that it spills over its boundaries, out of its container, like a river that overflows its banks or a pot or kettle on a stove that boils over and overflows, it makes a mess wherever it overflows to. And America's sin is now overflowing its brim and making a mess in other nations and not just in ours. And our sins as a nation are calling out for God's judgment. Our sins have overflowed our banks. And as a nation, America is spiritually dead and we are negatively affecting the world, it's safe to say we are a nation of dry bones. Very dry bones. Not every American, not every church, but by and large, America is dead spiritually. Our cup of iniquity is so full, it's spilling over and making messes everywhere. And like Israel, in our text, we are spiritually dead as a nation, and we are a valley of dry bones. And so our question today, can America live again? Is our hope for another great move of God, like a great awakening or national revival gone? Are we so far away from God that we cannot find our way back to him, I prayed about this very thing this week. And the answer that came back to me 
was this. With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Put that up on the screen, Matthew 19 and 26. Jesus beheld them and said unto them, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Can America live again? With God all things are possible. We can experience a great revival in this nation. We can see men, women, boys, and girls turn their hearts back to God. We can see the churches full to capacity, having to get new buildings and new churches. We can see souls saved, lives changed, men, women, boys, and girls filled with the Holy Spirit. We can see this nation turn around and stand for righteousness and turn our nose up at evil and wickedness and refuse to participate in it and promote it. We can see a great revival in our country again. With men, it would be impossible, but we are not alone. God is on our side, and if God is for us, then who can be against us? With men, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible, and God says it's possible, and I'm going to start saying what God says about this country, and not what the naysayers say about this country. I'm going to tell you, we can experience a revival like we've never seen in our lifetime. I can't keep the great white throne judgment from happening at the end of the millennial reign of Christ, but I don't have to be a part of it. America can't keep the world from backsliding and experiencing the judgment of God upon wickedness and ungodliness, but we don't have to be a part of it. Is there still hope for America? I believe there is. In fact, I know there is, but what we need to do, we need to do it fast and soon because the night is coming when no man can work. Can America live again like we did during the first great awakening and the second great awakening and the camp meeting revivals and the revival of the Holy Spirit baptism and the other great revivals of our past? Yes. The answer is yes. Hallelujah. America can live again. How's it going to happen? Ezekiel tells us. You see, what we need to understand is those of the remnant in America who remain in covenant with God through faith in and submission to Jesus, our King, our Lord and Savior, we need to do what Ezekiel did when his nation was spiritually dead and hopeless apart from God. We need to prophesy. We need to prophesy to the dead bones of America. Speak to our spiritually dead nation and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. We must say to America, you must hear the word of the Lord. You haven't been willing to do that in over 50 years since you took the Bible and prayer out of the schools and you sanctioned the murder of babies while they are yet in their mother's womb. But it's time, America, for you to hear the word of the Lord. We have to prophesy to spiritually dead America. Get the word out. Prophesy to those who are enslaved in the kingdom of darkness. If America ever needed a revival, if America ever needed a move of God, it needs a move of God now. We must have a move of God. That's the only way these dry bones can live again. That's what will determine whether or not America can live again. It will be determined by her willingness or lack of willingness to hear the word of the Lord and repent of her sins and follow after the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our job is to get the word of the Lord out there for the nation to hear it. We need to prophesy to the church. The church that has become comfortable with pleasant words and pretty preaching and doesn't like prophetic truth that challenges them to change their way of thinking and their behavior 
to line up with the will of the creator. The question is, as pastor, is homosexuality a sin? And the pastor says, well, I don't want to judge anyone. I'm waiting for somebody to look in the camera and say, yes. It's not the unpardonable sin. It's something you can be forgiven of, but you're going to have to repent and get it behind you and move on with God. What happened to the backbone? What, 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 what happened? Where'd it go? When did we start thinking that our job is to make everybody who comes in feel better about their self? Well, ultimately it is. But that's only going to happen if you get right with God. If you forsake your sin and you follow after him in holiness. You got to get in line with the word of God. Ain't nobody getting in heaven unless they, unless they endeavor to get in line with the word of God, repent from their sin, turn from their wicked ways. If those who are dead and dried up spiritually will hear the word of the Lord and start agreeing with God and his word and what he says and holding the opinions that God holds in their heart, loving what God loves and hating what God hates. God says, surely I will cause breath to enter into them and they shall live. God wants to do it, can do it, and will do it. The only thing he forbids is something that's bad for you. What'd you give up when you got saved? Well, smoking and, and drinking and some other stuff, which basically amounts to what the devil's trying to use to kill me with. When I got saved, I had to give up everything the devil was trying to use to kill me with, to wreck my life with, to use to steal from me, kill me and destroy me. My goodness, that's all I had to give up was what was trying to take the life out of me. Well, man, really, I didn't, I didn't have to give up nothing. I didn't have to, I didn't have to, in reality, give up nothing. Just myself. Just myself. Sermon's too long. First time that's happened. I repent, I'm sorry. In a recent poll, 62% of American pastors say they don't necessarily believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Excuse me. 62% said they do believe. 38% said they don't believe. 38%. 38 out of 100 pastors don't believe. Resurrection is necessary. You don't have to believe that. You just have to believe in the love of God. To them, Christianity is more like a philosophy. Among the pantheons of religions, just a, another way of thinking, a better way. Uh, it's just a philosophy that, that you follow to guide your living so that you could have a, a better life. They are apostate. And they are denying the truth that they once preached to others. They're doing what the Apostle Paul feared when he said, 
lest having preached to others, I find myself a castaway. If you believe that Jesus is dead and Christianity is just another philosophy among, among these other religions and ideas of the world, you're not going to be an instrument of God to bring life to spiritually dead people who need to be born again into a nation that's dead spiritually. But if you know the uniqueness of God, Yahweh, Jehovah, I am that I am. If you know the uniqueness of God and his son, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, then you can prophesy to the dead bones surrounding you in your life. Prophesy. Speak the word. Every one of us is called to preach. Who's, who are the preachers in your church? Well, me and Pastor Mike and Kelvin and Blaine. No. No. That's not all. Charisma. Proclaim the gospel. Preach. Who are the preachers in your church? Should be every last one of you. Every single last one of you needs to go into your world and preach, proclaim, speak the truth, the gospel to the spiritually dead around you. Jesus is the hope of the church. The church is the hope of the world. If we shut our mouths, they have no hope. The ministry has been given to us Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You are ambassadors. God wants every person to have a living, vital relationship with him. The key to revival is the word of the Lord. We must proclaim the word. Our church must get the word out. I'm trying to get 100 people to like our YouTube channel so we can get our address so people don't have to find us somewhere else and cut and paste the address and the YouTube so, so they can just look on there and find House Prayer International, Monroe, Louisiana. So we can get the word out. Get the word out. Get on these venues. So again, I'm asking you to, to get on there and like it. Find it. Go to our, our hoppy.cc page and find that and like, click on that link to YouTube and get it on there. So when I get kicked off Facebook, we'll still have YouTube. <laughs> Need your help. You see, the bones could never create life within themselves. They're dead. The bones were dead. They couldn't do it. It took someone that was spiritually alive and in relationship with God to speak, prophesy to the bones. And God says, if you'll prophesy to the bones, I will put my breath, that spirit, ruah, the same spirit that breathed over the deep, Brooded over the deep. And creation came forth. If you'll prophesy, speak that same spirit will bring life to those that you speak to. I have to stop. It's almost 12.
and then some. But you get the gist of what I'm saying. Undoubtedly formed as a Christian nation. Look at your currency. In God, we trust. Look at your songs. God bless America. Undoubtedly Christian. A Christian country. A country of Christians. Mostly. Mostly. Believing in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mostly. But look how far we've come. And it's happened on my watch. And on yours. But God don't care about all of that right now. What he cares about is from this day forward that you and I carry the gospel wherever we go to the dry bones that are now all around us. We're in a big valley of very dry bones. Can America live again? And God says, Yes, but you prophesy, you speak, you proclaim the word, and then I'll bring life, spiritual life to those that are spiritually dead. Stand with me, please. And let this be our closing prayer. Sing it with me. God bless America. Hallelujah. Land that I love. Stand beside her. And guide her. Through the night with a light from above. From the mountains to the prairies to the oceans white with foam, God bless America, my home, sweet home. And would you just, in your own words, in your own way, would you just tell God that you want to be used by him to prophesy and speak his word to those around you who so desperately need to hear the word of the Lord, that there is salvation in Jesus, and all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if we confess our sins, he will Forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you just in your own words, in your own way, just tell God, God, I want you to use me to speak, to prophesy, proclaim your word. Souls are hanging in the balance. And many are depending on me and what I would say to them. Here am I, Lord, send me, and I will prophesy, and I will speak, and I will expect you to breathe, put breath in them, and make them alive again. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. 
and cause his face to shine upon you. And may God be gracious unto you and watch over you as you go out and come back in. And may God cause you to prosper and to be in health, even as your soul prospers. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the name of Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus, our Savior, and soon coming King. Amen and amen. God bless you. Go with God and enjoy your freedom.